I am Corey, and I am happy to be opening up God's Word with all of you this morning. Seeing what He has to say to us, I will fully confess to I'm also very humbled uh, to be talking about a passage that I feel like I really needed to hear. And so, just full disclosure, I'm preaching to myself this morning uh, as I'm preaching to you. Um, but I've always loved the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, and I was thinking about why. Why do I love this book so much? And uh, it took me a while, but as I kind of thought about it, I think I really like the book because they're so messed up. The Corinthians are so messed up. I mean, you would think Paul was writing to like a bunch of prison inmates or maybe trying to reach out to the bar crowd or something, but he's writing to the people of God, and they have so many issues. And I mean, like, juicy issues, right? Like, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in Corinth. And, and I like the book because I feel like uh, Paul does such a great job of taking these issues and kind of just laying them out on the table so that we can look at them and then sort of peeling them apart and looking at what's really going on inside the hearts and minds of, of believers. And I'm very helped by that. I need that because I am messed up and there's junk and stuff in my heart and in my life. And, I, and, and even though maybe the outward expressions aren't as maybe sensational as they were in Corinth, the heart and attitudes and the thought processes of, of my mind are often similar. And so as Paul looks at these problems and these issues, I, I feel like I just, it's very helpful for me to, to process what that looks like in my own life. And as we're going to see today, we're talking about food sacrifice to idols. So a super relevant topic for all of us today, right? Many of us struggled with this one this week. Um, but the good news is, Paul, especially in chapter 8, uses this issue in Corinth to get to a deeper issue, a deeper issue that we all struggle with 100%. I'm willing to say that. So we're going to let Paul take us through this, uh, this issue of meat sacrifice to idols and see what he's doing and what he's trying to surface in the hearts and in the minds of the Corinthian believers. I do think it is important for us to understand a little bit about what was the issue with food sacrifice to idols. Uh, it, it was very prevalent. They would have struggled with this. Uh, food sacrifice to idols would, was integrated into every aspect of their lives, the culture that they were in. It was woven into the fabric of core Corinthian culture at every level, uh, economically, uh, tradesmen, would band together around the worship or the honoring of certain uh, pagan deities. And so you're an electrician, and just part of being a part of that group of people is that you just sort of pay homage to this god. It was just commonplace. Uh, socially, you would, they didn't really have a lot of restaurants like we did, and so a lot of times the meals were held in these pagan temples. And, and, and part of the, whole, the full meal deal was there was a sacrifice to the God, and it was as if the God was entering the meat, and then you were going to somehow be endowed with whatever power or good fortune that God would bring to you. Uh, and, and, and so it was politically, it was okay that they just did these things. And so in the course of a week, you would be confronted with this over and over again as now a convert to Christianity. And so it was a big deal. It was, it was an issue. Uh, that they would have struggled with, and they were struggling with. And there were sort of two groups, as you might imagine, like there usually is. 
There was, let's call them the more progressive group, who looked at the issue and actually were, were trying to make the case, hey, these idols are really nothing. And so we don't need to worry about not being involved in these things because they're not really real. And it actually shows our maturity as Christians if we do participate in these things. So you had those Christians, and then you had people on the other side that were, let's say, maybe more conservative in their approach. They were maybe more focused on morals and morality, and they were saying, how can we do this? How can we be involved at all in anything that has anything to do with pagan gods? And so they were divided. And so they had written to Paul and asked him sort of his opinion or what he thought on the matter. But as we find out, we're going to find out that in their questioning, they, they kind of thought they had already answered the question for Paul. So I think at this point, they thought they were going to get like a stamp of approval on their awesome theology regarding idolatry. Well, let's take a look at the text and see if that's what they, in fact, get. So it says in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, Paul's starting off now into this topic of food concern, uh, food sacrifice to idols. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, and he kind of stops, and he says some other stuff. He goes on a little escapade about knowledge and love. Okay, did, is, and then he comes back in verse 4 and literally says the same thing. Therefore, as to the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So the question is, is, did Paul have like a brain fart? Or was this like a squirrel moment for Paul? Where he's like, you know, about food sacrificed to idols. And then he says, uh, we know that we all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And what I want us to understand is that Paul is not having a squirrel moment here. He didn't just randomly think of something. But that what Paul just said right there is the foundational truth to what he's about to do in addressing this issue of idle meat. He, he, he could just go right into, yes, no, you can't do this, you can do that. But instead, he can't even get started on the issue before he dress, addresses the deeper issue that the Corinthians are struggling with. And that is that the Corinthians love knowledge. We know that from how much Paul talks about it uh, in this first letter, right? The first two, three chapters of the book are all about worldly wisdom and spiritual wisdom and the difference between the two. And the Corinthians, they love knowledge. They love eloquent ways of, of describing life and understanding things. And they're drawn to people that can do that really well, right? That's the division in chapters two and three. They love knowledge. And Paul is going to quote verbatim things that they wrote to him in a letter about idols. So this first little phrase, we all possess knowledge, Paul's taking that directly out of the letter that they wrote to him. And he's going to do that two or three more times in this section where he's going to pull things that they said uh, in their letter to him, and he's going to put it right back into his response to them. But they love knowledge, and it had become a problem because we see that one of the problems with knowledge is that it can lead us to want to be right at the expense of others. That's what he's saying. I mean, he, I, I can't say it any better than he does. He says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. 
And that's the most important thing Paul's going to say about this controversial issue of idol meat, is that you can't just come in and give the rules because you'll figure out another way to, to mess things up down the road if your heart is not in the right place. And so we need to understand this, that knowledge is not enough, right? He says this knowledge actually produces a negative thing. It puffs you up instead of doing what you should be doing, which is building others up. And so the Corinthians were, were just so into knowledge and understanding and being right about something. And I get that. Oh, man, I get that. I love to be right. I mean, I, I really do. To a fault, I love to be right. I, I enjoy a good debate with somebody about something. I like to talk about the information, the statistics, the processes, tried and true things, and what works best and what doesn't. I love that. It's, it's fun to me. My wife, she hates it, okay? So it makes for some interesting times in our marriage, but I love to debate, and I love to be right. And the thing is, it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then, you have that moment where you maybe sway somebody your way a little bit. You're talking, and you, you're, you're talking about things, and they're like, huh, that's an interesting point. Oh, I've never thought about it like that. Oh, man, I love the way that you explain that. Like, it really helped me understand this, and man, I'm going to have to think about that. Oh, man, it doesn't happen very often for me, okay? Maybe I'm not a great debater, or maybe my points are just terrible, or my positions are horrible, I don't know. But it, it does happen every now and then, and when it does, it feels so good. It really does feel good. Why? Why does it feel good? Does it feel good because I feel like, man, I'm so happy that I helped that other person. I think that their life is going to be so much better now, that they see it like I see it. The reality is, is probably not. The reason I feel so good is because it validates me. I feel like, ah, oh, I feel like I, I'm bigger in their eyes, or or like, I really am pretty smart. And, and they saw it, and isn't that great, and I feel good about it. Honestly, it's puffing me up, right? And Paul's saying, this is what, you, you guys want that so much. You love knowledge, and you love being right so much that you're willing to do it at the expense of other people. So we can talk about idol meat, and we're going to talk about idol meat. But we need to talk about a, a greater issue here, is that if, if you want to be right more than you want to be in right relationships with other people, then, then you're wrong. The Corinthians had learned the art of being right and being dead wrong at the same time. I mean, isn't that lame, that you can be right and be dead wrong at the same time? I mean, I, I, I don't like that at all. Uh, that's a hard one for me to accept, that I could actually be right about the information or some of the information and then turn around and be completely in the wrong. And the Corinthians had mastered that art. And, and honestly, it's not a hard art to master. It's really easy to do. To love being right more than, you, more than you love right relationships with other people. And Paul's trying to get them to see that. He says, you're lifting yourself up. You're, and in so doing, you're putting others down. And you're literally doing the opposite thing that you should be doing as followers of Jesus. You should be building others up in love and putting yourself down. That's 
That's the gospel uh, theme. That's what we see in Jesus. And he's like, you're living antithetical to the gospel right now in this. This issue has become, it's caused you to lose sight of the heart issue here. And so, knowledge can lead us to be right at the expense of others, whereas love will lead us to live right in relationship with others. And that is Paul's primary concern, as, even as he dives into an issue like idol meat, meat sacrificed to idols. And so if we want to be right more than we want to be in right relationships, we're wrong. We just are. And here's the thing. It gets, it gets worse, you guys. It really does get worse. So in verses 4 through 6, he's going to quote more truth, more information, right? More theology that they were quoting as grounds for why they had the right and the freedom to eat the idol meat. And so Paul, on an information level, he's going to agree with them. In verse 4, he says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know, back to the knowledge thing, and he's quoting them. These are things that they were telling Paul in their question about idol meat. We know that an idol has no real existence. It's not real, and that there is no God but one. So their thinking went, and it's all true. Paul goes on to, to, to back those statements up. Those are true statements. That's good theology, you, Christian, uh, you Corinthian Christians. Good work on your theology. But if the heart's bad, guess what happens? We can manipulate truth. We can manipulate truth for our benefit. And that's, that's what they're doing. They're taking something that's true. These, these idols aren't real. We know that there's only one God. All true things to justify their position, to benefit themselves. They're manipulating truth. I mean, we don't have to look far to see that in our world today, right? Turn the news on. People spinning truth, spinning pieces of the story together to fit a narrative, to fit whatever their presupposed position is. It's all over. We're great at this as people. We're great at manipulating truth for our benefit. The sad part to me is that when we as believers in Jesus continue to do the same thing, and the church in Corinth is doing that, their, their, their sole reason for quoting these things is to make the truth fit what their outcome, what they want, to build themselves up. They have no concern for their brothers. And so on an informational level, Paul can say to some of what they said, great, you have knowledge, but you're still wrong in your application of that knowledge. You're missing something. Because they were all about their rights and their, their rights and their freedoms. And the reality is, they were trying to avoid hardship as well. I mean, it's highly likely the case that the people that wanted to eat the idol meat were the people that were higher up in society. They were the affluent Christians because they would have had much more opportunity to, to eat meat. Eating meat wasn't really common for, for the lower level of, of society. They couldn't afford to eat meat all the time. But if you had money or you were successful or you were, you were a part of these, these, these big groups in society, you would regularly 
have the chance to, to eat the meat, to eat the meat that was sacrificed in these festivals and in these religious ceremonies. And so to not participate in those would have hurt, right? I mean, we all know networking is a great thing and meeting people and knowing people is important. Uh, and the more you do that, the more successful you're going to be. Well, it's no different for them. And for them to, to have to like not do that, it would have hurt them. It would have been hard. And, and so the, part of their motivation, for sure, is, is mm, man, if we can't do this, it's going to cost us something. And so we've got to kind of figure out a way, you know, theologically sound way to get to where we ultimately want to get, where we can just continue to do this. Had to have been some of the motivation for these people. And we can do the same thing. We can pick and choose bits of the truth to fit sort of our preconceived conclusion of where we want to land. We can do that. And that's what the Corinthians are doing. They're spinning the truth for their own outcome. And again, the worst thing about this, you guys, is everything they're doing is in antithesis to what Jesus is like. Their behavior is, is literally counter the life of Jesus. Instead of lifting others up at great cost to me, which is exactly what Jesus did, right? He had all the rights and all the freedoms, and he laid them all down for what? To build us up. And so here's the church of God in Corinth, this beacon of light for, for the good news of Jesus, doing everything that is the opposite of what the gospel is preaching. And that's Paul's primary concern here. And it's so easy to do the same thing. And as convincing as, 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 as we can be, we can, we can argue all day long about the information, at what points we're right and okay, but the, the problem is the heart problem here. And the reality is, they're arguing for freedom. And, and, and the sad truth is, they're still slaves. They're still slaves. They're slaves to the idol of self. That's, their world, everything about what they're arguing is about them. That's the essence of sin. We're enslaved to ourselves. And so they think they're arguing for freedom but the way they're doing it is just proving that, they, they, that they're still of the flesh. Because if they weren't, it would lead them to look to others. Because love leads us to accept the struggles of others, even when it negatively impacts us. That's what he said. That's, this is where he's going to turn this thing in verse 7. He says, however... Not all possess this knowledge. Not everyone has this knowledge that you talk about. Not everyone is where you are on this issue. It's not as simple for some people to just say, well, these idols aren't a real thing, and there is only one God, and that's the truth, so get with it or get out. Some people, they, it's not as simple for them. They have a struggle, and that struggle is real. I mean, you need to understand, it is hard for us to understand, I think, how this would be a struggle until we start to realize how, in it, how 
integral this was to their life. I mean, think about uh, Aphrodite, the goddess Aphrodite. She was in Corinth along with her thousand temple prostitutes. Okay, so we, we, we know in our day and age, pornography is a big deal. It's very accessible. And it's, it has a very strong grip on people. Well, guess what? That was part of, of this, this, the whole full meal deal of, of pagan worship. And it wasn't a shameful thing in their culture. It was celebrated. I mean, it was great. You go to the temple and you get to do these things. You don't have to hide. You don't have to worry about getting in trouble. And, and so you have people, this is what they came from. And, and you have these people that are like, well, okay, that stuff's not real. Those gods aren't real. There's only one God. And so, and they were actually, based on some of the language here, even pushing some of these struggling Christians to join them where they were in their position and say, you should be able to still do these things because they're not real, because there's only one God. And meanwhile, they have all this junk in their life. They have all of these, these things from their past, and they, they can't do it. They can't be around the stuff and not be destroyed by it. That's the language of the text. And see, if the Corinthians, if they truly were free from the biggest idol in all of our lives themselves, they would have been able to see that. That's what Paul's trying to get them to see. You're so focused on all this knowledge and all this stuff that just backs up what you want to be and and what's convenient for you. And instead, you should be looking at the people around you, understanding that they're struggling. They maybe aren't where you are. And you should take the initiative in love to help them in their struggle, to build them up instead of putting yourself up and putting them down. And if, and if we're functioning in love for our brothers and we're looking out to them instead of inward towards ourselves, it enables us to, to accept the struggles of others. Even when, not just, not just in a mental level, but even when it costs you. Even if it means, you know what? I'm not going to go do that with these people. Because even though it would help get me ahead, I really feel like I need to connect with those people. And it'll help me get my business or my whatever to the next level. Being willing to say, you know what? I can't do that because I got a, a brother over here and it just it isn't going to work. Now, Paul is not trying to turn the church into a bunch of finger-pointing legalists. It's not like Paul got a letter from a group of people that, you know, these crusty rabbis who are like sitting in the corner with their clipboard, you know, recording violations. That's not what's happening here, right? And that's not what the church needs to be either. But we're talking about people that have struggles. And, and, and are we going to use information Are we going to use some true things to explain away why that should affect us in any way at all? Is their choice their choices have made them where, you know, put them where they are? It's their fault. We could fill our head with all kinds of of truths, right? Maybe it is their fault. Maybe it is their choices. Maybe whatever. You can say, well, so that that shouldn't affect me. You tell me directionally. Does that look like what Paul's putting out here? Looks to me like using knowledge to put myself above somebody. 
put them down so I don't have to deal with it? Or does it look like the gospel where we as free people, we as free people get to see others in love and, and we, get to, we get to build them up. We get to sacrificially uh, do what's best for them instead of fighting for what is mine. And everything you could say about why not to may be true, but it also is not loving. And that's, that's, that's the call for us as, as believers is to, to build others up in love, to, to, to imitate the life of Jesus who gave up everything for the sake of other people. And, and I think here's the other thing that we ultimately see here is that our freedoms can easily become a disguise for our slavery to sin. I mean, Paul, this is where he goes next in verses 11 through 13. He says, uh, if I can find it here, there it is. Uh, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat the food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, there's that knowledge thing again, This weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their weak conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Paul's saying this is a sin issue. You have sin, and the sin is that you still have an idol, and the idol is you. It's yourself. It's It's the essence, I think, of all sin. It spins out of that, this inward turning towards me. And we are in bondage to it without Jesus. We can't get away from it. It's all we can see. And that's that's when he addresses the Corinthians in chapter 3, that's what he said. Brothers, I can't address you as spiritual, but as fleshly. You're still enslaved to the flesh. And the irony of chapter 8 is they're arguing for freedom. Oh, we have this freedom. We have this freedom. And all they're doing is touting how enslaved they are because they're no different than any other person in the world. They're just arguing for what's best for them at the expense of other people. It's, it's disgusting and it's sad. And they're using truth and freedom as a disguise for sin. So, I mean, the Corinthians, they're in a pickle here, right? Like, you know in baseball, a pickle? You know what a pickle is? Pickle's when the runner goes, thinks they can make it to the next base, okay? They think they can make it to the next base, but then they realize they can't. But they've gone too far to go back to the, the last base, so they're just stuck in no man's land, right? So this is what happens to the Corinthians. They, they took a swing at the issue of idol meat. And I mean, they thought they knocked it out of the park. They wrote to Paul with the question, Gave them a bunch of reasons why they had the freedom to do it. And, and so they're round and third thinking they just knocked this thing out of the park. And then there's Paul with the ball at home plate in front of them. But they've already gone too far, right? Because now Paul's not just said, mm, you need to rethink this, but you're evil. Like the way you're processing this exposes that there is just evil in your heart still. You want to lift yourself up, and you're willing to put other people down. I mean, that's, we'll talk about idol meat later. Like, let's talk about, you know, you and what's going on inside of you. And so they're stuck in no man's land. Kind of. 
Because Paul's not trying to tear them down, right? Paul doesn't want to, he's not trying to make these people look bad and these people look good. He's trying to build the church up. He wants them to be truly free. And so he gives them a picture of that as he closes here in 13. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, in Christ, we have the freedom. In Christ, only in Christ, do we have the freedom to willingly sacrifice for the good of others. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I had that phrase written down in my notes early on this week. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I don't like that phrase. I mean, that's not like, that's not a super exciting thing to come in and be like, I've got good news, guys. You have the freedom to sacrifice stuff in your life for other people. Isn't that great? Like, aren't we all excited about that? And as I thought about it, I, I was like, man, I, do I believe that? And I truly believe that. I truly believe that that is freedom. Because if sin really is this inward turning on myself to where everything in life is, is interpreted through the lens of me, that is slavery, people. That is, it's, you can never get away from it. And, 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 and that's our world. That's our life. Is that I have to figure out how to be fulfilled myself. I have to look at everything with how does it affect me? What does it benefit me? And, and, it'll, it, and it, it'll never be enough, right? It's, it's never going to be enough. It, it, you'll never get enough. You'll never be successful enough. You'll never actually have real, meaningful relationships with people because it's just a destructive way of living life. Self-oriented? Who wants to be around a self-oriented person? A self-absorbed person? None of us. So we all learn to disguise it just enough so that people will be around us. But we're not free. That's the issue. We're not free. We've learned to disguise our sinfulness enough to where we get what we want. And that's exactly what's going on in Corinth with this issue. And Paul just lays this thing on the table and opens it up and says, you want to be free, truly free? Jesus. Jesus is how you're truly free. He's the only way. He's the only one, the only one that can free you from yourself. Worship from your self-absorption, from your, from your goal of making life about fulfilling me. He's the only one that can free you from that. And that is true freedom. And the reason I don't like it when I first see it is because the flesh still has its grip on me deep down. And when I hear it, I'm like, ah, no, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way to kind of keep that little piece there and, you know, not touch that part. It's not freedom. It's slavery. And true freedom comes only in Christ when he frees us to be able to willingly and gladly sacrifice because we want to build others up and we're free from interpreting all life from me. Jesus frees us from the need to, to, to be constantly self-validated so that we can actually see other people. He frees us 
from being slaves to self-actualization, to where life's all about me reaching my potential and being the best me that I can be. Because Jesus makes us the best me that we can be. He's already done it. That's the gospel. He gives it to us in Christ. We're free. We don't have to spend our lives toiling for it. Whatever you think you're going to get for yourself, Jesus already gives it to you, and he gives you more of it. It's the only place true freedom is found. And it's the only way that you can look at something like sacrificing for other people and be willing and glad to do it is only if you're truly free, if Jesus has truly set you free and, and, and you've truly crucified the, the, the sinful flesh in you. And so, you know, it's like Paul, and I think sometimes we look at Paul, he says stuff like that and we're like, he's just a freak, man. Like, why does he have to say stuff like that? Like, it's annoying. I mean, right? It's like, it's like, okay, Paul, you just like one-upped everybody, you know? Okay, if, if, if food causes my brother to stumble, like I just won't eat, you know? And it's like, I think sometimes I get frustrated. I'm like, goodness, man, can you just be real for a second? And the truth is, he is. He is being real. He didn't get an extra dose of the, of the serum, okay? He's not like a super, super guy. I think he just believes the gospel. He just believes it. He cultivates that continuously in his heart and in his mind. And the question is, are you? Are you going to cultivate that belief? Are you going to turn away from self? Are you going to let Jesus free you? And so I just ask this morning, as we think about this, how does that sit with you? The idea that God may want you to give up something that, that is a right for the sake of somebody else who's struggling. I mean, think about this. In your marriage, how much of your marriage have you lived a slave to self? And I'm saying I'm preaching to myself. How much of this last week, how many days go by where I'm you know, moping around because I'm not getting what I want or things aren't getting done the way I want them done. And I'm creating distance with my, between relational distance between my wife and my kids. How much of my life am I going to live that way? And the reality is, it's a whisper away. Freedom is always a whisper away for those who are in Christ. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But we have freedom in Christ, and we have to cultivate that in our hearts and in our church. And we've got to point each other to him, because otherwise we're going to fight about a bunch of stupid stuff. And we'll try to make rules to get along, but it won't work. It won't work, because the heart's bad. And so Paul's calling us to true freedom, and he's confronting that idolatry of self in our hearts and in our lives. And if we give that up, we have true freedom. And we're able to not think of ourselves and build ourselves up. But we're able to look to those around us and, and, and build them up. And so the question is not, can we eat the meat, primarily? The question is, are we free? Are we truly free? Free to sacrifice? And are we exercising that freedom in our day-to-day -day lives? And I truly hope that we are. 
Will you pray with me?